you're exactly where you need to be. And you're listening to ADD Comedy with Dave Rosaski. Our guest today on ADD Comedy with Dave Rosaski is Simon Helbert. Yep, Howard Wolowitz on The Big Bang Theory. Also of the Coen Brothers, A Serious Man, Dr. Horrible's Sing Along blog, Studio 60 on Sunset Strip, Good Night and Good Luck, and, well, it doesn't stop there, but let's stop at this credit, Florence Foster Jenkins, where he co-stars with Meryl Streep and Hugh Grant, a film that's being released August 12th. This podcast interview is human, profound, deep, fun, illuminating, and oh-so-special. Ugh. It wouldn't be an ADD comedy with Dave Zasky without our untrademarked segment, Not My Finest Hour, starring none other than Mr. Helberg. I'm so happy with this episode, I could explode. Um, great. Give it a listen, I'll catch you at the other side. I just got to spend time with him because that we, we did rehearsals and table reads and stuff like that in Minnesota, so I, uh, I, I hung out with him. There. Oh my he God. And he's, he's such a great guy, uh, Fred Mal- Malamud. Malamud, yeah. Malamud. And he's such a great guy and his voice is just so... Yeah. He, he, it's that word that you go, you can only use this word like every once in a while, stentorial? Uh, well, yeah, well, I mean, you should never use that word because I don't should, know what it means. And stentorial thing. Oh, oh, sure. Or this. Yes. That is how he talks. Yeah, like, avuncular. Avun- yeah. Well, avuncular that, means he's uncle. He's uncle-like. He's uncle-like. But that would be his look. You know what? I think it's so physically, funny. but his voice, I don't have a word for. I, I'm going to have to show you a picture of my uncle because he looks just That's what I'm like, saying. Right. Avuncular. He's avuncular. Stent- stentorial. Stentorial is avuncular. the way, the, okay. pres- the presentation <laughs> of the way he speaks. I like, yeah. Is stentorial. Well, he has that, yes. And he, you know, I, I remember some of his lines in the, you know, uh, he would say, letting it breathe, Larry. Oh. I remember <laughs> Joc- my wife and I, Jocelyn, we always, letting it breathe. In the script, it said, it said most. Imp- it, it, it they wrote the dialect, but I don't even know what the dialect was. What do you mean it, they wrote the dialect? They, How do they, you write dialect? They wrote. He, he'd have lines. The like, Coen Brothers. Yeah, letting it breathe. Mm-hmm. They're talking about wine. Letting it breathe. Most right. important. And it would. It said I M P A W T A N T. And I remember thinking, what, what is that? Important? Is it? Is it supposed to be? New Yorkers? But he. It's much more of that kind of classical speech. That yeah. He, that that the 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 good the you know the the taught speech that you would learn in Abs- it's, school it's, or in, in the forties or yeah exactly. I was about uh, to say the forties like Catherine Hepburn and right. those people where you go I don't know where that's from what's yeah. it called middle middle Atlantic well Is yeah they call it like mid Atlantic I mean there's you know but yeah it's uh, do they call it mid Atlantic because it's not it's not it's British somewhere between it's somewhere the, between America some, yeah. and I'm just putting that together right yeah now. yeah it's I mean they yeah I mean it's it's just sort of. It's just good speech. I mean, I in acting school they teach it. And, do and they I, still teach it? Yeah, I, I learned it, and then I learned IPA. Can you do some is, of it now? Well, that is. I mean, it would be. I mean, that would be a, a heightened way of, of talking. But you know, the way you say, or you'd say, cup. You know, I want a, a, a cup of water. Uh-huh. Water. So it's like very soft R's, very enunciated speech and you would and I'd had a speech teacher that would talk like that and she'd grab you by the back of the ne- back of the hair and lift your head and stick her tongue out and everything was you know and she had it we, we all were terrified of her and she'd tell people like somebody would say um, there was a, a girl named uh, a girl named Laura Laura L-A-U-R-A but she said Lara she was from you know Long Island and she'd say what's your what's your name darling and she'd say Lara, no, your name is Laura. And this girl started crying because she realized that her name was not Lara. 
It was so sad. And I, I mean, this girl also got picked apart. I remember some other teacher said, like, she, he, he described her as being, like, ditzy. And I remember, but he, he was this very, he also, they, a lot of the teachers had that, that sort of elevated speech and they were very serious actors and they'd kind of pick you apart. If you were a girl named Lara from Long Island right. and you were up there doing, you know, Shakespeare or any kind of, these teachers would, you know, they'd rip into you because they were trying to sort of, they were trying to make you aware of what you appeared to be. Not necessarily always judgmentally, but to say your name's not Lara and you can't speak like this. If you want to do a part where you speak like this, you can, but... If you're going to be, you know, if you're going to be playing Kate in Taming of the Shrew, like, you can't get up there and speak about, you know. Unless that's the context that everybody else is speaking in. Exactly. So these people cried a lot. And uh, they, you know. My girlfriend's <laughs> name is Laura. And Laura <laughs> is, it, okay. is a trained, she's a uh, trained uh, opera singer. Oh, amazing. It's, oh it's really, gosh. really amazing. She's really amazing. And she and she really wants me to make sure to talk about it. We have to talk about yeah, Lawrence Foster Jenkins. Yeah, she really, she was like, you got to talk about that. Um, but she turned me on to Shadow Balls. Um, Shadow Balls, I think I'm getting it right. Where you, you don't say what, you say what. Oh, oh, yes, that's she, right. That's what they call the... the right, right. You know what, I don't even goes, think cool I... cool whip. So whenever right, you say right. cool whip. Whip, yeah. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> Southern people do that a lot, naturally, <laughs> which is like, it's kind of, yeah, they'll say like... What? But, you know, but that is actually, again, there's so much. I came, I probably came back from my first year of, of drama school, like the most pretentious. Prick. You know, yeah, I came home for Thanksgiving holiday with my parents and, yeah, probably asked to pass the cool whip. Um, but, uh, I, I, yeah, I think that that's, that's an interesting, yeah. I, and, but Fred Melamed in that movie has, uh, I, I don't know if that's what the Coen brothers meant when they spelled out important with a W or, because I kept thinking it takes place in Minneapolis, but well, I'm sure when Fred walked in, it was like, you know, and he's had such a great career, you know, before and after, but since then people really know, um, know who he is and he's, well, the, um, uh, the, the, the voiceover movie that he did. Uh, oh yes. Uh. With, with Lake Bell. Yeah, with Lake Bell. In a world. In a world. In a yeah, world. Yeah, right. He's so fun. And that was the first time I ever really saw him. I'm like, yeah. are you kidding me? With Yeah. <laughs> and when you see people like that, where you go, where when you first saw, I don't know, you're probably, you're probably, maybe, I don't know, when, when I first saw what's in Gilbert Grape, oh, and I'm yes, thinking, yes. they got the retarded guy to play I that know, part. That was one of the, that was a moment for sure where I, there was that, I had a couple moments where I saw actors and uh, I, I think it clicked for me that you could do something, do something where you actually took people, you know, on a on a journey that uh, introduced somebody to a character in a way that was so authentic that they kind of left this idea of being, you know, in the theater or whatever. Where you actually left that left the theater thinking I just watched a human being. Even there's Leonardo DiCaprio in that movie, and I also remember. Philip Seymour Hoffman in Boogie Nights, I left thinking, right. where did they find that guy? And I was, Leonardo DiCaprio, that, for Gilbert Grape, I was young enough where maybe, you know, I did I understood what being an actor was, but I didn't fully maybe know the difference. Well, sometimes you, you do see people and that's who it is that they are. It's true. So I think I left that thinking, oh, that's one of those you know, guys. that's a guy. But, one, yeah. but when I saw Boogie Nights and I was already like, you know, in high school, I, I was very aware of what acting meant. And I did, I thought, oh my God. Where did they get that chubby, long-haired, you know, that guy? And how did they get him to be so good on screen? That's right. kind of the most amazing. Right. How that's did they a train rare him? experience. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I totally understand. And you said something that was very interesting, and, and Laura and I talk about this a lot, because she also, what she does is she teaches, she's an opera singer. She's going to be doing uh, an opera at the Dorothy Chandler Pavilion oh, later wow. on. She's in the chorus of a Philip Glass. Philip Glass? 
Philip Glass Opera. Oh, wow. Um, in November. But she also teaches opera singers how to improvise, and they improvise uh, opera. Like, wow. what? What? Uh, wow. And That's uh, not easy. Where was it going? Oh, oh so <laughs> we've, we've been talking about um, this concept, the concept of being human. Yeah. And it's what you said about Leonardo DiCaprio. I'm watching somebody where you're watching somebody, and I think that that's exactly it. You're watching somebody in the audience, and you're going, that person's being human. They may be a human. Yeah. They might not be an actor. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's a, yeah. Yeah, it's an odd, it's an odd thing that we, yeah, there's, uh, I feel like it, with acting, too, it's become, there was something I watched, someone talking about Marlon Brando, and I guess, I don't know if it's, obviously, Marlon Brando was a genius and sort of, you know, I, I mean, transformed. I think that art form into actually what really where you did feel like. Imagine what it was like before. I mean, when you went to see Lutton Fontaine over, you know, in Broadway yeah. or going, you know, any of the Barrymores, and they're yeah. just being so stentorial right, exactly. and avuncular. Yeah, and exactly. all, everybody's fucking cheating out. And you're going, right. I don't believe a word anybody's saying. Yeah, you understand them clearly, but you're like, well, right. this is a great presentation. But yeah, yeah well, that's like, I mean, when people talk about because Mike Nichols talked about being at. Streetcar Named Desire and seeing that and that that was it. I mean that was the whole that was the, the beginning of of this change in. Well, let's talk about Mike Nichols and Elaine yeah, yeah. May, and let's talk about going to watch them at Second City, which you know oh, there are. Did you? Did you? Uh, no, no, no. They were way not, past. Yeah. They were way past. I mean, I I was I was born in '59. I didn't get to Second City until. Okay, I don't know if you were like a kid going. When you well, I was a kid going there, but he was still like they were gone by that time. They'd already right. done Broadway and stuff like that. Right, right. Because they were what were they early '50s? Then? No, they were late '50s at the Second City. They were the and Compass in the Second City, okay. and then they went to like his fucking career was crazy. But to watch them, those two, and that's one of those transformative experiences of human beings where you're watching them. And before that, people were doing mother, excuse me, mother-in-law jokes. So they're like you know being very that in George right, 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 right. like vaudeville yeah. was still half excuse me wasn't still happening I'm going to explode and vaudeville wasn't, <laughs> exactly. wasn't happening um, anymore it was dead but there was still that yeah. residual right. thing and then those guys came up yeah. and changed everything really changed everything yeah. the, and, and it's that that where you go oh my god I just watched something so fucking phenomenal that yeah. I can't believe it yeah it's true it's a and I think there's sort of a you know a positive and kind of negative reaction to those things because I was actually thinking too with the Brando thing. Somebody said that some I don't remember where I read this, but just that what what happened after he kind of broke down that wall and was able to really show this ability to transform or Dustin Hoffman to these people that are able to 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 or Philip Seymour Hoffman um, to to play such a wide variety of people that you actually. And you, they get lost in the character, and you're watching, it and you can't even really tell that it's them. It's one of the sort of negative things I think that happened is that people started watching performances, just trying to evaluating the quality of them based on how far of a stretch it was for this act, you know. And so these actors that become very aware or very very known in a in in the public eye as you know as themselves, or you you know what Marlon Brando is, or you know what Dustin Hoffman is as a person those actually that's not a good example those people what they they maintain privacy but i think what they're talking about are like you know when you watch sean penn now or something and you're sort of thinking to yourself wow this is the biggest stretch you know what he's doing up there you're evaluating it based on how how far he as an actor has stretched himself as it's very interesting and sean penn i'm I'm naming a bunch of bad examples because actually sean penn is 
also somewhat private and also accomplishes that. I but don't want to name the thing people. Is something that, different. But I yeah. think that what you're what you're saying is, um, can you, the question is, can you watch, can you watch Meryl Streep? without thinking about everything that Meryl Streep has done. Yeah, and she's a good... these Those people... I think part of the reason, A, aside from being brilliant, like Meryl and Sean Penn and all of those... Those people, they, they do maintain privacy, and you, and they also wait. They, I, want to, I want to stop you there, only yeah. because I don't know why you're bringing in privacy. I'm not sure, like what. Well, because what I'm thinking, doing. like, I won't name the people that I think maybe are are the negative version of this. I've sort of named the positive one. Those people, I think, all are able to play a role, play it authentically, stretch themselves. We watch it. We get sort of, you know in enraptured in there in this portrayal of a character i think there are other actors that that the goal for them is to make a lot of choices and try to be something different and stretch themselves and can so you, when can we you give watch an example them, of a, a dead person a dead person you know what i mean yeah. so that way it won't that uh, way that way i won't i won't you won't offend anybody you know what i mean um because i think that i understand what you're about close to understanding yeah what i, I think about. uh oh a dead person god why aren't there more dead people that you know what? That's really uh, weird. Yeah. The world needs more. I'm yeah. not Why don't I it. shit on somebody who's not here to well, defend? Well, but I'm not talking. No, no, no. It's, it's not, not even always negative. I think that because we can we can veer away. Okay, from this. I think that sometimes like okay, I think like Leonardo DiCaprio. I think it's odd because actually when he was really young and you watch Gilbert Grape, I think that is an example of the positive version of this, where you're this is somebody you you are watching a, a real fully formed human on screen, and I think actually. Some of in some of the, the the stuff that he's done later, I think I feel like sometimes it's not quite as that we're we're going wow that was an amazing thing that Leonardo DiCaprio did in this movie. <laughs> right, I'm thinking he about the really, Yeah, he really transformed for Le- for Leonardo DiCaprio to be running around in the cold and eating you know bison liver. That is an amazing thing that Leonardo DiCaprio did. That's really amazing for him. For Leonardo that DiCaprio. That he lost all that weight. That Leonardo DiCaprio. Yeah, he say. looked the least like Leonardo DiCaprio that Leonardo DiCaprio has ever looked. That's <laughs> sort of, that's like the version I mean. And I don't even want to shit on that because I think he did a wonderful I job. Tell you. I, I just think there's, it's actually not always the actor's fault. It's sort of the fault of being over, um, overexposed, even, even though he's one of the more private people and that's why I keep saying privacy because it's somehow sometimes it's not even by choice that we are you know that you're sort of blasted across the stratosphere and every social media platform or every magazine cover that you're not I don't know that you that. I don't know I, I, I would say it's 50-50 yeah like when do you choose and when do you not choose yeah and, and just just thinking about the revenant I'm thinking that was, and I and I'm not being hyperbolic here. That was an an Olympic performance, right? Because of what he had to go through, yeah. Just in terms of, you know, you look at somebody and say you, that you are you are the master of that craft because you are fully in it, um, uh, spiritually, uh, yes. mentally, physically. Right. You are you are fully in it. But I'm going to go. I'm going to agree with you to yeah. say, yeah, that's. That Leonardo DiCaprio, he really did right. yeoman's work in order to be that character yeah. being played by Leonardo DiCaprio. I think that whole campaign for us, you know, the whole Oscar campaign that people started to kind of notice because it was not very subtle, you know, for him to, to win was very much, you know, uh, anchored in that. And look at look at the lengths that this actor went to in order to to bring this character to life, which is, is fine. It's just different. It's just a different thing. It's different than... 
you know, when you when you would watch, I, I mean, when you watched Dustin Hoffman in Midnight Cowboy or whatever, or you watched people, I mean, it the same thing, Christian Bale, these guys that lose this weight, or De Niro gains the weight. When De Niro gained the weight and did all of this stuff for, you know, Raging, Raging Bull, Bull, I don't, mm-hmm. I don't, I don't know if people were only. I don't know how much the weight gain came into the conversation. No, in I would, I would of also the quality of that performance or something. I like think that. that you can put those, you can, you can compartmentalize those certain performances where you say, okay, him and Raging Bull. Let's just look at that. Yeah. On, on disconnected from hit, uh, De Niro and Taxi Driver. Sure. You know, disconnected, disconnected from uh, Mean Streets. Is that the first movie that he did? Uh, uh, with well, yeah, at least one. At least yeah. one of those. So disconnected from all those yeah. things, and yeah, and just going, okay, fine. Right. Again, can you? Well, here's another thing. Can you listen to Abbey Road and pretend that you've never heard it before? Well, I think that's those are great. That, those are great experiences when you have a glimpse of that. I don't know if you can psych yourself. I think you can. I think with great albums, particularly or pieces of work, you find something new every time. It's sort of like that. I think. I think maybe if you're like, you know on drugs or something you might be able to psych yourself up, up exactly. more to, or, but probably what's well, happening what when you're, you're, on drugs is you're experiencing it in a different way yes that's, you're that's perceiving all that it differently really yeah. yeah so I feel like yeah it's I mean you can't take anything fully out of context ever and it's it's silly to to judge people because you know technology has changed and now we're all you know there's always more con- there's too much context now there's so much context now for everything that it does make it hard to escape, and people don't even want to go to the theater to escape that context anyway anymore. You know, that's something so nice about being in a darkened theater and that experience, and, and people don't want to do that. They want to be in their own place. I love and, going. To, yeah. I love going to movies. Yeah. I love it. And I, I, and I think too. that we live in it. We live in a city where the movie-going experience can be whatever it is that you want it to be. If you, yeah. want, it to be, uh, if you want it to be rough and tumble urban, you can yeah. go to the awful Universal City Walk. Right. And if you want it to be uh, clinking glasses, you can go to the Sundance. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. With, you know, on uh, yeah. uh, Crescent Heights. Yeah, and you, you want a martini, or you you want a beer, or right. you want a coke. And what I love about that is that's no one under twenty one's allowed in that theater. That's true. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't go. I don't go as much as I. Every time I do go now, I'm I'm so happy. I always feel like I just I, I feel like I I I miss. I, I feel like that's going to be gone. What's going my kids? That theaters are going to be kind of a. I mean, I think it'll always be there, right? And it's already fading. But I have this fear that when my kids are grown up, that I'm going to say, you know, people actually used to go out and watch movies together. You know, the way that someone might say, there used to be an organist that would come into the theater and play. Did you Did you go to the silent movie? Yeah, I used to go. uh, I used to go. I mean, I have kids now, so I go a lot less. But I used to go. So just to give people context, the silent movie. The silent movie was, was a movie that was a silent movie theater. And they had a guy who yeah. played the played the pipe organ yeah. over there, and they had this queeny guy that would come at the beginning and go. He would walk up to the front, and he'd these old this old queen, and he would say, um, "What we're going to be seeing now is Gloria Steinem in her first movie that she ever did. If you notice in the background, you would see a young Buster Keaton walking right. through. Um, this movie I was do, produced by. Yeah. Zen. You remember that yeah, guy? Yeah, I do. That was the guy that, guy that was murdered. Oh, in the theater, gosh. and he was murdered in the theater. He was murdered in by his lover. Oh my. When was that? What year was that? That well, I've been here twenty-one years, so it's probably within the past fifteen years. Okay. Yeah. Know? I mean, I, I did go. Yeah, I did. Uh, I do remember. I, I remember the organist less than uh, 
less more than I remember the the guy the Queenie guy being uh, maybe I never saw him. That's oh, I, I, I vaguely remember hearing that him. story. I fucking that's loved crazy him. that he got. And then now it's it's Cinefamily, which is a great thing too. That, right, that I love going to the uh, to the ArcLight. I love walking the one on uh, on, on Sunset. Yeah. I love walking into there and seeing this grand <laughs> old train station type place. Yeah, and there's the clock and there's the theater and now you can bring booze into the I theater am. and 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 uh, we saw. We saw uh, Lorna saw Keanu at oh. um, at the, um, the the what is it called right next door. Oh, Cinerama Dome. It's the Cinerama Dome. Yeah. We saw Keanu there with about 15 people in the office. Really? Yeah. Oh, wow. I love that movie. Yeah, did I saw, yeah, I did. I had my uh, my friend uh, edited it, actually. So I... The editing in that movie is great. He did an amazing... He's an amazing Because editor. the editor on that... The edit, like, kept that fucking thing yeah. going. Yeah, but him and, and Peter Tensio, the director, and my friend is Nick Monsoor, who I went to high school with. They both... I mean, everything about it... I thought it was a, f- a phenomenal movie, but it was... It, it, given... When movies can look that great and feel that great, and I know that you know there's not as much money in those movies as there used to be. So money being kind of money making money or putting money into I'm putting it, money into it. Putting I mean, money into it. I mean, between the editing and the directing, like the way that that movie looked, and mm-hmm. it it looked as as good as something that you know would have cost probably three times the amount. Sure. Um, sure. Which is an end. Then those and the end of that movie the, was just so, they're, so wonderfully yeah. funny. It was just such a. Yeah. And I know those guys. They're and they're so they're friends funny. of mine. And look oh. at somebody go. You're my friend, and you're doing this movie, and you, yeah. and not to have any, not to have any jealousy about it at all. Yeah, I, that's just, I mean, their life is their fucking life, and I love those guys so fucking they're much. So and to just how wonderful it is just to sit and go, they're doing it, man. They're yeah, fucking doing. And it. I got to go because my friend edited. I got to go sit, and he showed me. Maybe this is illegal. I shouldn't say, but he showed me some of the. The scenes, like there's some. I mean, they improvised uh, obviously a lot, but there were some some of those car scenes where they were just sitting. They just roll for ten minutes, and it was. I mean, they're just. It, it's also that rhythm of having been together for so long that there is. It's 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 like a magic trick. It's yeah. like when you watch it, you know, an improv group. But that is the magic, magic trick. The improv, where you say, yeah. "I'm what we're doing right now." The the communication that we're having right now is a very solid communication yeah. that the audience doesn't see. Yeah, and they and I think that's it's like when I used to go see UCB in when I was at in New York when I went to see them. Uh, I guess it was in '98 or '99. So there was that theater was just just the opening. One in Chelsea. Yeah, was that God? Was that where it was? It was the first was one. one. Yeah. It yeah. might have been Chelsea. Yeah. I can't even remember mm-hmm. because I have a terrible sense of direction, but it was also, it was almost 20 years ago. But yeah, you pay a dollar or pay what you can, or it was like Sunday night, the Ask Cat show. And I, I mean, it, it changed my, I, I didn't, I, the only reason I didn't start taking classes then, there and then was because I think I just could, I didn't have time because I was at, my the NYU schedule was so crazy, but I was like, that was what I, I wanted to do that. I wanted to, I also just philosophically, I think it, it affected me, and when I came back to LA, the, that theater didn't exist here. So no, I, no. So I went to Second City, which is where I met you. But yeah. I I probably would have ended up there because I because I had never seen long form improv, and second I grew up here, so I went to the Groundlings. Everything I saw was short form, you know, games. Joking. Yeah, and I mean, I was in awe of the Groundlings. From I went there from the time I really was born to the '80s. Throughout, my dad was in the Groundlings. Right. And my, grew up going and I took classes in high school and so I did all the all the kind of games in the short form and the monologues and the you get a word and you kind of have to get 
you have to kind of get to the funniest version of whatever. Well, that's it what is. UCB certainly goes for. Yeah. 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 Well, or, but no, or the Growlings. Sh- I mean, but the short form. Short of form. It. Yeah, yeah. I mm-hmm. mean, UCB. What I saw then was like, oh, you mean you can just kind of go into stream of consciousness and you can you can find find it as you go. And I mean, it was the funniest stuff I'd ever seen, but it was not that whose line is it anyway no kind of no you're watching like people it. be in process yeah you're watching them go through the process yeah and for me that's what i fucking love yeah is to go all the product of improvisation is the process of improvising yeah i'm sitting watching you be in process so please for the love of all things fucking holy yeah be in process for yeah while because that's what i just paid yeah. 18 dollars to go see yeah you and know? the thought and i always thought I, I what i've always the the greatest thing that i ever experience or experienced or still experience is sort of that the moment of impulse or 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 where you have a you you feel inspiration and i you feel it from the audience and i always and you feel it if you're on stage and i always thought what i loved about ucb was whenever i'd sit as an audience member i would always watching a show watching improv i always had you always most people probably have some form of oh i want to say i want to oh right i I would it's a kinesthetic response i would do this or you know and when you're on stage you you can have different you know it's always it's different but hopefully you have some surges of you know that that kind of firing going on but usually you can't act on it in a short form thing because you're you're off to the side or there's rules or there's so in this idea where you're all standing against the wall you're all watching people do a scene and you could actually have an impulse and stop and stop the scene or or propel it in some way jump out there and i don't know i just never i totally it understand. was like the way it was like the way your brain, where you all be kind of, kind of become this one organism. Yeah, I, I, I gotta keep remembering that you, that so many, that for me, because everything you're talking about, I totally love it. Again, <laughs> it's, I love it. I love it because you're going through it, not having gone through the process that I went through. Yeah. So those that you, those things where you go, oh, well, you could jump out of the out of the line and do yeah. that. That was what we were doing in 19. 19- 85 yeah. 84 85 like like doing the heralds and right. jumping into the heralds and having Dell push you in that way and I'm not saying it just to I'm not saying it to go oh you kids I'm saying it to go no. that's exactly it yeah. like like to have that feeling in that moment and again it's a kinesthetic response where you're able you if you are indeed listening to what the fuck is going on yeah. you can act upon it right away yeah right away yeah yeah it's it's and it's the way people people have a conversation you know is is be human and, yeah well yeah and if people talk and you you have a moment of and or you misunderstand somebody or you i mean you see things in a sort of if you know i if you're a funny person you probably have you probably see things satirically a lot of you know or you see you you experience something and you you in your mind it's sort of a heightened or or whatever you see the comedic version of that I feel like a long form in that and I didn't get to do a lot of it I wish I did more I, I just I did more sketch yeah. stuff but I, I always thought like oh this is the perfect way to you know to you can kind of stand back and and view it and be a part of it and play with each other you know it's just it seemed perfect and I, I wish I got to do more I just never did it's very interesting because what is that you did what you what you did in your your upbringing and certainly your upbringing certainly with, with your with your family too with your dad being a groundling, um, it was a very different thing. Yeah, uh, it, it was a very different way of looking at it, and uh, I I loved I, I just love the sketch stuff too because yeah. you're really able to see how that one particular person sees the world, and particularly at the groundlings, which I've I've publicly had my my challenges with. Yeah, because I feel I walk away from that 
a lot of the shows very often thinking I don't believe a word that anybody's saying on stage yeah. and that's just me and that's just me and I'm not I'm not entering into that conversation yeah. other than to say that's how I feel yeah. and I'm watching people thinking you are working your ass off right now where you don't really have to if you would just say exactly how you're feeling right, right now yeah. and not worry about thinking yeah see I, I, I'm torn between like and just, there is no right and there's no, no there's I mean no but good about generally it. I have the I've always been I've always tried a bit too hard in general and so and I've always been of the mindset that if you're not fully committed if you're not hurting yourself if you're not sweating what are you doing which which came I think why I can't say I think that's how I kind of started out thinking about things and I think it's still in my bones somewhere but I've I with maturity I've realized, oh, oh, wait a minute. There is something. There's, there's ways to be refined here, or there's ways to be honest, committed, fully present. It's so and interesting. Not, I, not I, hurt your back. Well, here's the know. thing. When I think about the show, when I, when I've seen you in movies and uh, uh, Big Bang Theory, which, by the way, Laura would listen. Laura lived in Germany, <laughs> and <laughs> she would hear. This is the way that they would say it. On they would. And coming up next, Big Bang Theory. Oh, yes. Go, theory. Theory. Big yes. Bang Theory. Trying to over-enunciate. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So when I'm watching you doing doing those things, it's so interesting for you to say, like all that work that you did, like, I'm watching a calm actor. Uh, you know what I <laughs> that's mean? Very I'm watching you just be. Yeah. And well, particularly in, nice. I'll, I'll use uh, 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 the, the Coen Brothers movie. Sure. A uh, Serious Man. A Serious Man. You're sitting and yes. you're just being. Yeah. You're not offering, you're not bringing, you're not bringing anything to dinner. No. Because dinner's already set. Exactly, yeah. I mean, I, and I think, what I think I learned from, you know, from that and as I... From that just, movie? From that movie and then also just as I kind of get older and maybe better, hopefully. But I, I is just, is that's a, a perfect example. At that movie... I was so excited to be in that movie. The, the, the writing was so great. Those are heroes of mine. But I, you know, I got the role about nine months or so. Or no, I auditioned for the role about a year before I shot it. Mm-hmm. And it took about nine months for me to... You auditioned for it or you cast it? I auditioned a year before. And then I, it took almost nine months for, for them to cast it officially. Not that they weren't searching that hard. They were making you know, No Country for Old Men, whatever, brilliant movies, and then they, they didn't know if they could make a movie. So I got uh, cast nine months later, and then we shot three months after that. But for that whole year, even when I wasn't cast, I had I knew that they liked me, and so I thought, I have a chance of getting this. And I pretty much every day would think about it or work on I mean, I, obsessively. I have a lot of obsessive, compulsive tendencies. And I think, you know, it. it I, what I learned in working working that part for you know it's a five page scene or whatever uh, and I told them when I, after I shot I said you know I, I think I worked on this every day for a year I literally don't know what I'm going to do with my life now that we've shot it uh, can we just keep work, workshopping this scene every year because I, I have no purpose anymore and they kind of laughed and I was like oh my god I'm serious what is wrong you know where I need to sort of figure and I think my at that moment I realized I need to start figuring out for myself where where what the the difference you know the, the line between uh over preparing or uh, you know obsessive self torture uh trying to find you know work overworking myself just to 
appease these these kind of uh, these fears that I have to calm to calm yeah to calm these demons where that it lives versus where just preparing for a role lives because ultimate or any or preparing for anything because or the, just living your life or just living I mean yeah and I think I because I think I didn't understand you know I think I felt not just that I had to to suffer for these things but I think you know it's like at what point are you pacing because you're nervous or nervous because you're pacing right i guess you know like, right why am i why what it, the whole point the whole entire thing that we do is to the reason we do what we do is that people want to watch us sit and live honestly in the moment and not know what's going to happen and so it's an odd thing what we do because we prepare to unprepare i guess so where is the line between saying Okay, well, I know that I'm supposed to be out there and 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 exist in the moment, so I've prepared enough, you know, to do that. Or the where do you, where does that live, and then where does not preparing at all, you know, I, I guess trying to find you the balance. Not, between... But you couldn't you couldn't not not prepare. No, you couldn't I, not prepare. prepare. Yes, well, I, that's what my therapist tells me. Uh, yeah, no, I think I honestly I think I had to get to a point where I realized, oh, I'll never allow myself to be fully unprepared. So. I need to stop. That's not who you are. I need right. to stop. I, I, I just, I grew up, I grew up, you know, I, I've just been a perfectionist, I think. Since well, I, I think was... it's interesting that, from what I've read, you, you, you're, you're a piano player. Are you a classical piano player? Uh, I was more you, jazz. And, you're jazz. And, yeah. Okay. Which is very interesting because yeah. it's structure, but it's also outside of that structure, yeah. right? Yeah. But it's living within that structure, yeah. but it's not living within that structure. Exactly. Which is just it's so confusing. awesome to me. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's really, when I think about, uh, when I think about, uh, you know, Coltrane, he was a sax player, but still, you take a song like My Favorite Things, the song, yeah. not My Favorite Things, yeah. but you take My Favorite Things and you go, here's, a, here, this is the melody, yeah. and now let's fucking riff, and right. we're going to come back every once in a while, and the trust yeah. and the confidence that you have. Yeah. Yeah. to know that you will never not be within that song yeah. as long as you're within that song. Yeah, well, it's, it's you know, jazz improvisation is definitely a really good metaphor for living your life, but performing as an actor, not just in improv, but also in scripted, you know, which is you, you, learn, you, you learn the scales, you learn the chords, you learn how, what the song is, you practice forever using the scales, getting comfortable. Then you start to figure out sort of riffs, licks. You listen to people. You hear. Then you then you start to usually fall into uh, some kind of comfort zone where you've got a lot of really cool riffs that you could play, depending on what key you're in, or if it's this chord. Or then if, if you, you get, get to, to that place, yeah. And if it, yes, if you get to a place, so you've learned some scales. Then you've kind of figured out in those scales what riffs to do. Then you realize, this is at least what I happened to me, and happens, I think, even in other kinds of performance, is that at a certain point, I'm not even really, I'm too, com I'm not really even there. I'm, 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 I sound good, but I'm playing a lot of things that are just kind of by rote. Riffs by I rote figured or out. Within, by rote, or, or is it just, is it your system doing what it is that your system does best? I think that, at a, like, when I was a teenager and I had sort of figured out how to, play well I learned a, a certain a few scales I learned a few riffs I could play over a lot of different things well but they were always kind of these rehearsed sort of thing or I just they were go-to bag of tricks kind of thing cheat yeah but good I mean still I wasn't I didn't write out a solo by hand or something. Mm -hmm. and then I got to a point where I realized wait that's not really 
the thing. And then I realized there are actually no wrong notes. There are no scales, really. It's, I think Miles Davis had some quote about, you know, there's no wrong notes. It just depends on what comes before and after. Exactly. And I, I heard it was like, like uh, I heard it was a monk that said it, but oh, um, I, it was guys. either one or the other. Yeah, he yeah. said, I don't play the wrong note. I just justify the next one. That's, oh, that's even more yeah, eloquent. I mean, yeah, either, so, way, either way you want to say it. But yeah. that's, then you realize. Yeah. Me. You yes, realize that exactly. So I think I realized, oh geez, I you know I, I learned the blues scale and I could play some cool things, but there's you know ten other scales, and then really it doesn't even matter what scale you're you, you're you're supposed to you're trusting that you know what's going on enough that you're letting go of all of it, and that is that is the scariest. Oh thing yeah, because it's you, also a, a, and it's the most thrilling thing. It really but it, is. but but for a long time it feels really good to just play the blues scale really cool and do a lot of cool licks and you, that feels great too but then but then you get a little more mature and you realize oh there's this is there's more things I can do here and boy it's a lot farther to fall because I'm kind of throwing everything out and I've opened up now I can play any note not just seven and that is terrifying and exhilarating and you that's I feel like that's where you that's where it all kind of lives is in 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 that pocket of complete unknown and complete trust and really you can fail pretty big even with that trust so it's yeah hard, it's hard you could also think. you could also soar you can also soar yeah and that, and, that, and and it's those moments of, of those moments of oh I, I got it man i've got it i'm here yeah. i'm here and not to bring doubt in and go i wonder how long it's gonna last yeah. just to go i'm here and yeah it's going to end where it stops yeah and that's where it's gonna end yeah I wanna, let, let's just let's just kind of go into into the uh, the Florence Foster Jenkins movie because yeah. we're talking about that music now and what you just described how does that live within who Florence Foster Jenkins was and, and let me just back yeah. up by saying so Florence Florence Foster Jenkins was uh, do you want to describe who she was yeah she was um, she was a socialite uh, an heiress um, in New York in the primarily in the 40s and uh, she was, and well, she is one of the most well-known opera singers uh, of all time, and also also known to be perhaps the worst opera singer of all time. So there's this very uh, interesting dichotomy, and 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 one of the most successful too. She sold out Carnegie Hall faster than Frank Sinatra. She's one of the biggest, the biggest uh, artist on Melatonin Records ever. Um, which was a, a big record company back I'm then. And for there to be a melatonin record, and not, yes. they're not black, they're <laughs> yeah. white. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It just okay. plays really slow. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, so um, uh, so anyhow, she um, so so yeah, so that that's that's who who she was. She was uh, wanted to be a classical pianist. Um, ended up contracting syphilis on her wedding night. Uh, they prescribed mercury and arsenic back then. Um, it. It fucked up her arm. It caused probably some sorts of different kinds of delusions, although they never really studied her brain. My, grandma, my great-grandmother her. had syphilis, too, and she was like, whack job city. Really? Yeah, yeah I mean, it, I think it's yeah. probably pretty pervasive in terms of that. That was just, well, that's what they prescribed, and I, so they never really studied her brain. She also lived much longer than they anticipated, so more than likely she suffered from some kind of delusion, or many delusions, which might account for why she fancied herself to be such a, a, a wonderful uh, singer which she was far from and but she thought that she she thought that she was she yeah. and she also had the confidence to go I'm doing this yes she had absolutely not an ounce of self-consciousness or doubt um, she 
she just wanted to spread music and joy to the world right completely um innocently and genuinely i mean she there was there was nothing about her she there was no irony there was no performance art level to it there was no she dreamed big she failed bigger she she was completely insulated by uh her husband who was an interesting character who they had a platonic relationship he also managed her he had a, a mistress that she was aware of but uh he was a failed shakespearean actor and um uh he was uh yeah he was a, he was an interesting guy from from england and um he was an uh, an illegitimate earl uh, so he was like kind of failed royalty. It was this. It was this really odd group of people God, that all kind of assemble. And my character uh, had the insane name. Uh, his name was Cosme McMoon, the improbable, improbable name, probably named Cosme McMoon. And uh, he was this eccentric, like all of them, uh, guy from San Antonio, Texas, fresh, sort of off the boat. The way we find him in the movie stumbles into this bizarro world thinking he's landed the job of his dreams accompanying uh, a rich lady on the upper west side and he'll make some money on his way to becoming a concert pianist uh and he gets roped into kind of this conspiracy of kindness is what it's kind of a good way to describe it i think this trio of between him florence foster jenkins and her husband there there's this this kind of secret uh they're almost you know these these conspirators that they're it's like a hustle really is what what's going on they're paying off critics and my character is totally wet behind the ears and is all of a sudden in over his head with uh with this this awful singer um who's basically the question at this kind of heart of of, of his journey is what is worth sacrificing what what is worth what are my dreams and what am i sacrificing to get there or ultimately to you know, to get right next to to that dream. To be, yeah, there's a line in in one of the uh, in in, uh, in the trailer where you're saying essentially this could be the end of my career. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's the that's the sort of you know there there's that struggle for uh, for for all of them I think except her who it's sort of one of the more inspiring points of view that I, I mean it, it the movie questions perception it it. It questions: Do we, as an artist, do our intentions even really matter? Because what we experience as an audience is never what the artist is intending, and whether the voice she heard in her head was wildly different than what most the majority of people heard, does it matter? Because that voice is always going to be different to each person in the audience. So, ultimately, she achieved her goal. She sang at Carnegie Hall. She brought joy to people. She brought music to people. That was her intention. That was the real. That wasn't her intention. intention. That was the re that wasn't necessarily just her intention. It was also the reason that she was alive. It was. It yeah. wasn't anything that she had intentionally. Yes. No, she. Done. No, I, I. I think that you know she. Right. It, that was. That was her. Her purpose. So that was it, her purpose. Wait, I just want to take a moment. Just yeah. To to wrap my head around that word, her purpose. Yeah. And to discover your purpose, but also to have that triumvirate of niceness or whatever you called it. Yeah. To go. Oh, we're all. What we're all doing here is we're harvesting her purpose and we're harvesting her niceness and at the same time 
when you are in service to someone like that, you are you cannot help to be in service to yourself. Right. And when and that's that's a lovely way to be in service to yourself. Yeah. Is to be in service to somebody else. Yeah. So it seems like all all both of those characters, both the male characters in that, are in service to her yes. and really in service to yourself. Yeah, and they yeah, I think it's you know, it's not a totally altruistic dynamic. I mean, they're not they are not just in it because of their love for her. I think at least initially it there's probably a bit more self-serving, you know, oh wow, this is this woman I, I provides a salary, provides opportunity for for my creative aspirations um and and other things like that, but I think ultimately it becomes this it becomes more about the the love they have for I think of it as like the way you look at a child who is, you know, running around the kitchen belting out, you know, a, a song from Frozen or whatever. Um, and they're, you know, they're not thinking and neither are you thinking about, well, how's the phrasing? And, and are they on, are they on, well, there's a little off pitch there, a little pitchy. And, that's the, that's, but that's a scene I'd really like to yeah, see. Yeah, but anyway, it's terrible. yeah, it's like darling, uh, yeah. No, but, but I mean, and it's, it's yeah. you're usually, and you're not, you're genuinely not judging them it's not like you're even trying to suspend your judgment in fact you're so far from especially especially if it's your child and and you're a healthy-ish person you're so far from judgment that you're actually it's for me with my children i'm filled with such joy when i watch them play pretend sing dance i and in fact whether it's you know on or off key or they're on or off balance or whatever it might be i, I don't it it's those things those things in no way affect my the, the joy that it brings me or the feeling of of pride and also just infection it's an infectious thing i mean that's why when you watch a child and they say whatever don't you know no no animals no children because they steal all the focus because you can't it's they're so alive and they're that so human. is yeah and that for honestly i think that is what florence foster jenkins the person was for people that is why genuinely the tickets sold out people didn't buy them ironically people bought them and went to see her at Carnegie Hall and bought her music and David Bowie put her on the top 10 albums of all time because that was absolutely an an unavoidable truth in her music was was well was the truth it was the truth that she brought to it and the joy that she you know, imbued in every it was it was it, it was emanating from her, and I think someone like Meryl Streep, a reason we like to watch her as an actor, and she's so perfect for this part uh, and every part, is because that is true for her. She is one hundred percent alive, and and one hundred percent honest at every at every turn. She she demands it uh, of herself, and I think of the people around her. So I, I ask a question, and it's and it's out of my character because I don't often. Uh, talk about people's projects. Well, I want to talk about this project, your project, because uh, when Laura and I first started going out, she sent me Florence, Florence uh, through Spotify uh, Florence oh. Foster Jenkins music. Wow! And she's also and and you know she's my 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 best friend. Yeah. Um, and uh, and so I don't often talk about people's projects because I feel like. I watch a glaze come over their face when they're talking about that. And it's like, and it's like, oh, we're on a roll, and now yeah, I'm yeah. making you glaze. Oh, um, but that's not what's happening here. Yeah. I'm just saying why I'm getting into yeah. it. I'm getting into it. 
What is it that you notice when you're watching Meryl Streep perform live that you don't see that that you that you don't notice or see or what not in a good way or a bad way but just what's the difference watching her perform as opposed to watching her uh, in the movie? Do you understand what I mean? So like when I'm standing on the set working with her as opposed to yeah. Um, and again, it's just it's such a weird yeah. thing for me to talk no, about no. because I feel like oh I, I no no it's I mean I I think. Well, it would be hard for me to... Well, I, I can say one... Certainly, you, when you watch somebody on screen, uh, because of where, where the camera is placed and just, I guess, the medium, you, you see even more usually, mm-hmm. I think, on screen. Um, even, even though I was standing in the room with her, you... I mean, because it, it's hard to tell because it's edited and the way the story is told in, in a you know, music. You get, you get more. It's clear. It's clearer as a film than when you're watching it. It has a different kind of life to it. I think when you're watching it in the theater or on the screen, in person. I mean, I. It's hard for me to to differentiate between what I saw standing there like doing a scene and what I saw. I guess uh, you know uh, once it was all put together. But I can say that. I, I guess what I what I saw sort of around the takes or like before the scene or or after the scene was is something that you don't get to see when you watch her in films and I, I can sort of speak a little bit about that which I, I think is kind of what I was saying before about bringing bringing all of the life that is in the room and that is in in your body to that moment. I, I think, like I said about, and I learned a lot when I was talking before about, in sort of a convoluted way, about, oh my God, how much am I preparing just to kind of ease my fears and versus how much am I preparing to do what is required of me as an mm, actor? You mm, know, mm, how much mm. of this is necessary and how much mm-hmm. is not just unnecessary, but detrimental, is, actually. Or it's symptomatic of, your being, of an anxiety yeah. as opposed to you being connected right. to what it is. Right, like doing. the whole pacing before a scene and... All, you, all the actors pacing in a waiting room or, and, well, yeah, muttering to themselves and going, how much of that is is that preparing or is that just, are you just trying to calm yourself down? And then at what point are you actually, because I hit a point on this movie where that, I wasn't able to calm myself down anymore. I was nervous as hell and I was, and I was excited and I was, so, is it, I'm sorry, is, wasn't that also part of the character. character. It was, it was, and, it, and I think that becomes another confusing thing when am I being affected by, I mean, how much, if you're, if I'm playing a character who's always completely out of his element, that's probably going to affect me. Absolutely, and, and isn't there also <laughs> something about, and this is where the ADD comes in, isn't there also something about, the name of the, of the podcast, isn't there also <laughs> something about you fucking sitting in this life that you have and experiencing these emotional conditions that are happening to you, but not not that that are not of you. Do you understand what I mean? Yeah. Like to because to, to do to do the your sitcom, uh, to do the Big Bang Theory, to yes. do the sitcom <laughs> is a very different muscle, and you're yes. and you're, you're 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 because you've done so many of them, you're most likely to be able to compartmentalize that, yeah. and very seldom. Does any of that come in? Or, although I'm sure it does. Yeah. But here you are indeed, and this is what we do, and it's the same reason that people do drugs. Is we're we're making our we're 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 making ourselves 
we're engaging in a feeling that isn't a feeling that we're feeling, but we're feeling the feeling that we're feeling, even though it's not our feeling. Do you follow me? That, <laughs> no, I do. Actually, that totally makes absolute yeah. sense to me. The idea yeah. that you are that you are in this in this movie, yes. in this intense situation, in this intense situation, yes. the character well, and the actor. It's it's what's informing what you know. And I remember having acting teachers that would say. Or, or no, actually, well, they said it because it, and then David Mamet said it. I studied at his theater company, but he he says a lot of great stuff and also a lot of bullshit too. Right. But, um, but in in his book, I, I think True and False. Uh, yeah, in, in True and False, and I it, love that book. It is a, it is kind of you know it's again it's a take it or leave it kind of. I was thing. about to say take what you want throw the rest. Of the yeah, way. yeah. But there are certain things in that oh, book. Oh, certain where I go, great great things. Whoa, man! Yeah, and I, and I just get chills yeah. thinking about certain great things and, and again a lot of uh, if you're gonna talk in such a dogmatic, you know, extremist He's a complex way. fucking person. He and he's brilliant. And I, I, I love reading somebody who says, this is how it is, and and everything else is bullshit. Because at least it's a... Especially if they're smart enough to kind of have a few good points, which which he does. But right. one of the things he says is, um, uh, you know, oh, the, the person playing, you know, Hamlet, uh, when they get to the to be or not to be... You know, I, I, I've worked with people, I think he talked about working with people who, you know, is, oh, I, I'm so confused about this monologue, to be or not to be, I don't, I just don't understand what is going on, what is Hamlet thinking, and what is he, and you're like, and really you're confused about the speech that is about confusion, you know, you're, you are, you don't know what to, it feels uncomfortable, it feels hard, it feel, and it, and it's, it's, never I, I, they always said in, in that book too and in the school that I went to which is all that book was sort of the bible which is you know everything you're feeling is uh, you know is because of the scene it, is, it is the scene um, is, is appropriate for the scene or whatever Every all of the, the, the emotions and the thoughts that you're having are engendered um, by the scene if you are indeed present with the yeah. scene and I well and I think even beyond that I'd say you're all you know if you're not present that's that's then be aware of that I mean I Clearly, don't get too but it's very hard that's Eastern. the thing hard to be aware it, of it, it gets hard and yes and then it gets well but but in, in the work that we're doing let's go back to uh, short form versus long form yeah in long form you get to say what it is that you're feeling the moment that you're feeling that feeling that you're feeling you get yeah. to say that at that moment yeah and that's why we laugh is because they are being totally and absolutely honest they're not they're it's not a machination yeah and they're not forcing something into this that they don't that doesn't belong yeah and Laura had talked about about um, uh, yesterday with her class, uh, she, she had mentioned that one of the things that she says to people is this: Look, you know what it looks like when somebody's trying too hard. Yeah. You know what it looks like when somebody's being too, like, trying too hard to be funny. Yeah. As opposed to, can you just be human in this moment? And being yeah. human means to be present with the feeling that you're feeling the moment you're feeling this. Feelings. Well, and yeah, and I not to tell a, a story about myself exactly and how amazing I am but uh, yeah, I'm not, <laughs> I don't have you here to, tell, to talk about well, you well well I don't want to I'll say this because this is really not about me being so smart but it's it's about in doing this movie and in working with Meryl and in watching her and in watching myself and other people and I, just those moments before the scene and during the, and you know all these things that you know she's a human being she's nervous she's she get confused she tried lots of she was always honestly always brilliant I, I thought and and every take was very different yet also completely grounded in the story uh, that's the other thing is you can't kind of 
you can't make wild, you know, you have, you're telling a story. So it should be different every time because everything is different at every moment. But you're also, you do have an obligation to tell a version of the story you're telling. So, you know, she wasn't uh, just trying to be interesting, I guess is what I'm saying. But yet always was fascinating. And, and, uh, and, and anyhow, what I'm trying to say is that what I noticed, though, was the, the hunger for her to bring life to these scenes and 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 that was in the way that you might kind of uh if you're in an improv or something the way you kind of you walk on stage with some choice or some sort of purpose or some prop or some you know uh space prop space work uh, object, prop, work. object work but the way you make a a a choice and and I would watch her and it would be different and in in every in every take and so if her if her sleeve got tangled in her necklace or that she was so excited by that you know like if that was happening as they were yelling you know rolling and I didn't you know how you see people sometimes oh shit yeah and I happened to be one time on stage and I had an acting teacher in college my shoelace came untied in the blackout when I before I started this big scene and he he saw my acting teacher said I saw you rush to put your shoelace in your shoe and then the lights came up and he said you should have just started the scene tying your shoe and I'll never forget that I was like fuck that was, that's so right and that's what I watched her do every time it was like you know, you're, it's it's the other mammoth thing, which is invent nothing, deny nothing. You know, you're not. She wasn't looking for something to bring into the scene, but you're open to it, and if it's there, you 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 pounce on it. And so, what I was gonna say was, <laughs> I'm just trying to sum her up and uh, the purpose of, of life and art in, in one quick story. But uh, but I as I noticed, oh my God, I'm pacing. I'm, I, I'm like, you know what? I looked at her sometimes and I would just see her sitting and really taking in what was going on. And sometimes I'd watch, you know, as everything always goes wrong in a moment before they're rolling, there's always a buzz. The microphone is always not, falls off your shirt or there's always some issue. You know, nothing is ever poetically lined up for perfection it's always like and and you you know if she, i watched her there was a scene she had to do that was you know had some emotional kind of demand and we were sort of starting in the middle and she was i could see that and she was sitting and she was calm and i could see she was ready to go and of course there's a buzz hold 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 she's sitting and you know the guy comes running out with oh and she's i can see that she's sort of maintaining whatever that you know ephemeral thing is holding on to it guy's running the guy now has to open it move a piece of furniture sorry sorry he has to scoot her over and then she just starts laughing at a certain point because it's ridiculous because we're about to do a very like delicate and she starts laughing and then i saw that in the next take you know she brought that Ugh. in and that and it's not again it's not a self it's not like she's doing it to be no she she's doing it it's not like she's just laughing in the whole take she's still telling the story but there was an air of that kind of confounded sort of being what alive. yeah what is this shit well, you know and i she were moments she'd be like you know like oh i can't believe after 20 takes you know that the camera was here there and everywhere but now we're turning around on me why do we do this to ourselves? why do i have to now do on take 25 when i've done it 25 times i now the camera i'm realizing they didn't even have my close-up and it's like or whatever, and it, what, not in a complaining kind of way, in like a, 
a wondrous sort of way. Right. And she never, she never had that. There was never a, a complaint, a complaining kind of. Oh, they fucked up my zone. I was in the zone, or you know, like the Christian Bale, like you know, throwing a light at someone. It was, right. it was always like, well, in the next take, you'll see that that kind of. Uh, you know, you'll you'll see that sort of the that frustration, if it's frustration, or the uh, you know whatever whatever that that feeling might be, will come through in the work as opposed to you know in between the takes, where I think a lot of people tend to do all of their their expressing of honest emotions, frustration, fear. That's all in the film. For what's her. your what's your what's what's your takeaway from having watched her? Well, um, I mean, aside from, you know, well, from all of those, uh, of those things, uh, my takeaway is, I, I, th- I think, is, is really a sense of bringing what you have <laughs> in that moment to the work you're doing, I guess, to, to the bringing what is inside of you and living naturally and whether it's fear or doubt or um, inspiration, it's not always going to be inspiration. So I think that it's really truthfully opening yourself up uh, in the moment, you know? And it's a, it's a very tricky thing to do and it requires um, kind of a... It's a foolish, <laughs> it's a practice, foolish abandon. Right? Yeah, yeah. I, I think uh, it's a practice, and and it it doesn't mean you're everyone's going to be Meryl Streep. But I think that there, I think about ten minutes ago when I started this rant, the, the thing that I was going to say about myself that happened during the film, from watching her being a huge pacer and a huge oh I gotta lock down this magical kind of I gotta get that it's like the little like a hair on your tongue like I I gotta just kind of get it and then and then I'll be ready to go was was realizing that no you're always ready I mean I I did enough work months and months and months leading up to it just as she did that by the time you're on the set you're just just you're there I mean she talked about I keep interrupting myself because there's so much great stuff about her but she talked about kind of like oh she was like I'm always the last you know I'm always learning my lines in the trailer that's what she said and I was like really because one night I asked her I said how do you do this I mean I'm going to ask you the question that you probably want to kill yourself when you hear because everyone probably asks her how do you do it how do you do it and you know there was no magical answer to it um, it's kind of some of the stuff that I've, I've been talking about but but she she was like you know she she talked about kind of in the sort of generic way I was t- just trying to tell the story, really. She's like, I just believe what I'm doing. I just believe it. And, and that's kind of comforting that she wasn't like, you really want to know? All right, here it is. Like, because then I'd be like, oh, my God. I have, it's a system. Have to be. No, it's like, it's she's not like a system. yeah, she's like, I believe it. And she said, but, you know, uh, and I said, because I asked her, like, are you at home? Are you pacing around? You know, are you learning the lines are you and she's like you know just like everyone else oh sometimes I get stuck in a pattern if I think too much about it or you know I don't want to really figure it out and that's why she kind of said I'm just learning the lines in the trailer because I know she already knows what it is she knows what the story is the lines are kind of honestly irrelevant really by the point that you're out there it's like if you know the story the lines should be kind of like 
naturally just there. singing it. Yeah, you're, you're not even, they're just there to you're help you. You're not telling you. the story. You're being the story. Yeah, yeah. You're not, the line, you have no obligation to the, the I mean, the lines, you, you got to know, you got to say them as they're written, but like, if it, it's, they're just tools. I don't have to mean, they can mean anything at any point. So for her, it was like, she knew the story so well, she knew the characters so well that the lines are the last thing to kind of bring to it because and that's that why she learned it in the yeah I don't know how I think she was cutting herself a little I mean I think she knows she more than she says she but I think her point was like she's not sitting at home learning how to say the lines in the kitchen and I think a lot of people do that even people that do it very well do that to a degree they kind of know and so that's a big takeaway for me is like hey why not learn what this story is and this character is and really try to surprise myself when I get to the set and really that feeling before you're doing an improv where you actually don't know what you're going to say and you don't know what they're going to say you can kind of well that's that's what you want in acting but you you have the unfortunate disadvantage of having to say lines and having to hear the same lines so it's that's that's the trick but I'm going to really quickly say what I've been trying to say now for 15 minutes which was what happened to me during this one big scene in the film at the climactic she's on her deathbed and there's just this reaction Spoiler alert. Of, yeah well uh, yeah, it's a Meryl Streep movie you know, she's going to have a big <laughs> death scene so um, but I had to it was just a reaction of for me of watching her be brilliant and die in the movie and there was um, uh, there was a guy the, the boom guy during <laughs> during my close up uh, what well first of all they couldn't even situate it so that I could see her because of the you know this happens all the time so the crew had to be basically where she was so I was looking really at a piece of tape right and the boom guy started apparently having some kind of allergic reaction or something where he was suppressing a cough or something was going on so I was looking at a piece of tape and I could hear just <laughs> <laughs> and I could see the boom shaking and I and it was I knew we were about to go to lunch and I knew it was a close up of me and I knew it was watching you know Meryl Streep do the greatest acting you've ever seen in your life because I had watched her take and uh, and I had this moment of thinking like I had a moment of going okay I need to say something like hold, what's going like I need to stop and then I had a moment of going just ignore him and then I had a moment of going no this is happening you know he's this is kind of funny and I am also interested in what is going on so I sort of smiled and I looked over I looked up at the boom which was shaking and I looked at him and I'm not saying any of this will be in the movie although I feel like there are things like this that ended up in the movie but because ultimately like her, like the message of Florence Foster Jenkins and Meryl Streep, what's honest is honest, you know? It doesn't matter what... My honest... The the honest moment for me was what the fuck is happening? With Why is this... What's this noise? This is ridiculous. This is my close-up. Meryl Streep is having a death scene <laughs> and I'm in it. And there's a guy shaking and I'm looking at a piece of tape. Oh my God... Then okay, wait. I'm back in. I'm kind of back in the story. But you know what? This is the story. And when you watch somebody be honest, if it's if it's that they're honestly believing that they're watching a person dying, or that they're honestly reacting to a boom guy who's having an allergy fit, 
they're both honest. I mean, but if you're denying it, you're denying it. I don't know. I don't know if that's too philosophical. Or no, it's, it's perfect. But I was like, holy shit. I think that, you know, and then, of course, that ended, that scene ended. Stephen Freer said, well, I think we got it. And I was like, oh, oh good. You know, I was honest. It was one take. I'm fine. And I said to Meryl, I said, you know, I, um, during that scene, the boom guy was having a fit. But I thought, you know, I thought, hey, uh, I'll just be honest. You know, it's all in. This is life. And she was like, really? You know, you, you could have asked for another take. I was like, wait. <laughs> I thought this was our thing. I thought we're just honest all the time. She was like, I mean, no, I mean, if you think you got it, but I mean, if he was like, I was like, oh, fuck, I learned it all wrong. I thought that was the point. Um, so, anyhow. I love it, I love it, I love it, I love it. I, I want to stop there, I want to yeah. stop there. Oh, God. That's... Oh, that's really good. Thank you so much. My takeaway from the chat with Simon Helberg, in every situation, acting human can only help you to be human. So there you go. Thank you, Simon, and congrats on Florence Foster Jenkins to be released on August 12th. Before Simon's segment of Not My Finest Hour, here are my workshop and performance comings and goings. June 18th, it's me and the Armando spot at IO West. June 24th through the 29th, I'll be in Melbourne, Australia. July 2nd through the 10th, I'll be in Canberra, Australia for workshops at Improvention. July 15th through the 17th, I've got workshops in Christchurch, New Zealand. July 29th through the 31st, another weekend workshop. It's time, it's in Auckland, New Zealand. If you live somewhere, chances are I'll be teaching there. Check it out at davidrazaski.com. ADD Comedy with Dave Rosaski is produced by Laura Parker and me. Like our show? Give us some love on iTunes, won't you? Send questions and comments to Dave at ADDcomedy.com. And now, Simon Helberg in a segment we call Not My Finest Hour. Um, okay, well, when I was, uh, what was I? I wish I want to say I was older because that would help get me off the hook a little bit but I think no I, I think I was about 18 and I I was in love with uh, many girls that didn't love me so I was sad and I also didn't understand how to drink but I knew that it made me less sad and, and somebody had wine and I just remember thinking oh look at all the red wine and white wine and put them together and drink them separately and these bottles are beautiful and they look great when they're empty too and I just drank tons of different kinds of wine and uh and then the next thing i remember was uh laying sort of laying across the toilet like with my head rested on the porcelain part of my chest on the other part and uh and it was very comfortable but the next morning after i blacked out i i had these bruises on my head and on my chest in a in a toilet the the diameter of a toilet and i drove home from my friend's house after having vomited all night and I remember thinking oh my god and I was on Pacific Coast Highway and I thought I'm gonna I'm gonna vomit again I gotta get home oh no I'm gonna vomit and I was in my Jeep Cherokee uh, and I thought I can't vomit on a Jeep Cherokee so I was also wearing a Superman t-shirt ironically and I took off the Superman t-shirt in the car on the highway driving 60 miles an hour and laid it over my passenger seat to protect my 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 car and I just dry heaved uh, on a Superman t-shirt, driving topless all the way uh, down PCH home. And uh, that was humbling and very, very unheroic, uh, unlike the t-shirt suggested. <laughs> awesome. That's awesome. That is awesome. <laughs> <laughs>